Hi everybody and welcome to another edition of The Friel Thing with me, the legend that is Greg Friel. I'm here with um, another Greg or a Gregor. Gregor indeed, yeah. Gregor. Gregor. Uh, the original G-Man, um, Mr. Gregor McPhee. Hello, how are you sir? Very well, thank you Greg and thank you for having us in. Uh, it is my pleasure, my pleasure. It's so funny um, to have you here and actually I introduce you as G-Man because um, my friends call me G-Man. Mm-hmm. Well, it comes with the territory. It just know. happens, or G, G-Man, whatever. And, and I'm like, I'm not G-Man. There's a guy <laughs> who I know who's got pink hair, and he's the guy who, like, he's the original G-Man. You know? So I, I feel like I'm a fraud. No, I, it's funny, the whole G-Man thing. I never actually had any choice in it whatsoever. I used to play with an old uh, rave band called The Rhythmic State. When I, uh, when I was playing guitar with them, it was kind of a heavy metal guitar over techno beats. It was quite an interesting gig we used to do. But I was told when I went in that band, right, Andy C, he was the C-Man. So you're the G-Man. Right, And that okay. was it. And everyone else called me after me. People seem to think I've adopted this. Like I'm saying, hey, I'm yeah, the hey, G-Man. Cool. Yeah. Nothing like that at all. You know, I just kind of, it's a name that I was unable to shake off. So I had to embrace it, you know. Well, we always we always did the thing where it was kind of like, um, we were kind of pretend we were like really hip hop and like, cool. so, you know, what up G? <laughs> what up G? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like we're, we're white middle class guys <laughs> who have no street value whatsoever, really. Just no, just no street cred. Forget it. You know, it's just ridiculous. Um, anyway, so just to set the tone, uh, give a quick 30 seconds of who you are and uh, what you're about. Well, I'm Gregor McPhee, known to my mum, of course, as Gregor McPhee before I was the G-Man. <laughs> of course. Uh, and I've been a, a professional musician since pretty much the age of about 16, when I started guitar tuition, and from there I've played in various different acts. Uh, and ultimately, at the moment, I am a musical producer, because over the years I've always dabbled in recording, and now I run my own recording studio with HQ Glasgow. And I'm also working on a project at the moment with my man, Mr T, a vocalist and co-writer, and we are basically producing uh, disco house music. A lot of different flavours in there as mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. but uh, that is my current project at the moment, and where we are right now. Um, and I am a huge huge fan of this project um, oh, thank you as, as you know because um, I to use your expression excuse my language everybody I will pimp the shit out of that stuff <laughs> that, that's, sure. a, that's exact expression I use when <laughs> exactly. I come to social media stuff yeah. um, <laughs> definitely um, but it, the thing I love about it is just there's so many influences in it that I love there's the funk there's the soul there's the you know it's it's the thing I love about the rap side of things is it's kind of it kind of goes back to early kind of rap yeah. like, this, like the late 70s rapper's delight kind of vibe yeah there's a lot of that kind of the disco kind of sense of it um and I, I just love the sort of the hybrid of kind of, of of what it is yeah plus it's just really really hooky oh thank you well it's all about the hooks I mean I think it's really for me music especially pop music I mean pop could be considered a, a dirty word you know people think pop mm-hmm. and they think something like bubblegum pop when I think pop I think anything in the radio you know if Metallica's yeah. got a song in the charts well it's pop music to me yeah. you know so anything like that has got to have hooks that's the bit you remember. That's when you're walking down the street singing away to yourself. You're working in the factory, etc., etc. You know, hooks are the things you remember. So whatever I do, it's always got to have hooks. But I think the whole influence thing, it really, it's always going to be a kind of melting pot of influences. I genuinely love 
all styles of music. Yeah. And a lot of people kind of they want to put you in a box and say, what is it you do? What style is it? Who yeah. are you? You yeah, know, yeah. It's the human brain thinks in like patterns and shapes. And, you know, it's like when people try to think about, you know, things that are unfathomable, you can't put in a box. Say like when people thinking about planets or the universe or something mm-hmm. like that, they can't wrap their head around it because it doesn't fit in a box, so to speak. It yeah. helps us all to put people in boxes, you know, yeah. and musically as well. I try not to do that. I just try to take music as a whole. If you listen to everything, you can have the best of everything. If you listen to one style yeah. of music, you'll end up listening to a lot of, you know, a lot of rubbish within that genre as well. So why not listen to everything? Why not keep your mind open, so to speak? No, definitely. So way, 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 way back, uh-huh. um, when you were first getting into music, and you're saying you started giving lessons about 16. Yeah. When did you first start playing the guitar? Yeah, I started. And guitar is your first instrument. Guitar yeah. is my first right. instrument. Yeah, yeah. I started playing guitar properly when I was 11. There was always a guitar in the corner of my room. My father was a musician, so he yeah, a semi-professional musician. All right. Okay. Yeah, and there was all. I think you know early on he'd been playing guitar to me and whatnot. And these things sink in, and also mm. you know I, I'd obviously uh, watched uh, Back to the Future and saw Marty McFly <laughs> playing Johnny B. Good and these sort of things leave an yeah. influence but I think you know when I saw Hendrix on a programme called Sounds of the 60s mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember an old retrospective programme they used to have on and he was playing Wild Thing and the video's mm-hmm. online it's just this crazy noise it's just yeah. like this absolute you know where does this come from he seemed to come from another planet and that yeah. I think that really kind of drove me or influenced me certainly to play mm-hmm. the guitar just to what he could do with it and that's always been there so the minute one of my brother's friends came in picked up this guitar by that time it three strings left on it a right. wee nylon string guitar the neck was the, the the neck joint was actually starting to come off it at that point as well he tuned it up played a couple of Black Sabbath songs on it and from there I was like wow I want to do that mm-hmm. I just really wanted something I could show off with because I'm a big show off by nature you know what I mean it says the man with the pink Mohican exactly and I'm not frightened to admit it <laughs> well this, I think this is this is the, the, why I kind of relate to you on quite a few levels yeah uh, because we're very much cut from the same cloth in Indeed. that we both like all kinds of music um, and there's not much I don't listen to myself. Um, and we're both attention-seeking whores <laughs> in, the nicest pos- in the nicest possible way. In the nicest possible way. Um, so, yeah, so you're first kind of dipping your toe into into music right so yep. you kind of you start playing the guitar but you get to a level that you're able to start teaching guitar at 16 yes yeah, yeah it was something that was suggested to me by an old guitar uh, tutor I said you're doing a, a paper around why not teach guitar you know mm-hmm. you can make money doing that and it's something I'd never even given a thought to and uh, yeah it just it, it made sense doing what I loved could I actually make a profession out of this and that's when it started to sink in then yeah. that's when it all went wrong <laughs> I thought I could, I could make a living doing this well yeah, no, nearly you, no, you can't, <laughs> nearly no, you can't. but that's the thing it's the blessing and a curse isn't it mm-hmm. you know um, that's what I always say to everybody you know it's like yeah that was when I kind of I fell in love with music and that's like you say that's when it, when it all goes wrong you kind of like yeah because trying to do anything else I, I, you, you probably feel the same way like when you've kind of gone you know maybe uh, maybe I, sh- I could do this as well or instead of mm-hmm just to maybe make a few extra bucks or whatever and then you can you start doing that other thing and I get a sick feeling in my stomach and I literally feel like I'm going to die <laughs> it's like no you can't make me do this no this isn't this isn't who I am 
Oh, totally, man. That's, I mean, I think at that point when I started playing guitar, I'm tunnel vision and everything I do. And when I started playing guitar, I lost interest in everything, including school mm-hmm. at that moment. So now I'm a stage in life where all my eggs are in the one basket. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? You, you know, someone said to me, if you get a plan B, you're always going to take it. And yes. as someone recently so said that to me, and it made a lot of sense because there was never a plan B. So, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a case of music and whether, you know, whether I like it or not. And I do love it, thankfully, you know, and yeah. I get to do what I love. But now it's a case that it's really all that I do because everything I've done since that moment when I started really getting into music at 11 and playing music, everything's been entirely about mm-hmm. music. You know, I've lost interest in the rest of the world, it seems. But I think the thing is that's that comes across like in all your social media content. Um you're really I mean you're really really active everywhere on social so um and the thing that I really love about watching your videos is you're it's like it's infectious whenever you're you're playing it's like oh I've just dug out this guitar I haven't played this guitar in ages mm-hmm. I'm gonna play it along with you know something and it's just like the joy on your face you know, I'm just <laughs> like he's obviously just totally loves apart from the fact thank you that you're just like the most insanely gifted guitarist. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Good. Nice to hear um, that. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, it's something I would never, never really believe or think myself, to be honest. I think at any point, some Bruce Lee made a great comment that right. sums it up. He said, you know, there's no destination, only plateau. If you ever think to yourself, you've got there. So true. You know so what true. I mean? If you ever think uh-huh. you've got there, then you slip down the other side of the apex. But I think that the, 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 the story that I tell is that um, Prince was the real reason I kind of got into wanting to play like everything. Yeah. Um, but I don't have the same kind of insane kind of work ethic that he had and kind of like, I'm going to sit and practice the guitar for eight hours a day or yeah. practice whatever for eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. For me, it was like, okay, I want to play well enough to to create the parts that are in my head. Yeah. Um, but I'm not like a flashy player in, in any instrument. Mm-hmm. That's just not my thing. But because it took me years to kind of accept that and realize that, no, mm-hmm. that's really who I am, right? It's more like the general overall thing. Yeah. But I literally spent 15 years hating myself mm-hmm. because I was never going to be as good as Prince. And you're just kind of like, well, that's totally ridiculous. Because I would be thinking, other people are going to be judging me against Prince. Yeah, like no, they're not. <laughs> they're just listening to your music and going whether they like it or not. You know that. Uh, so, uh, I th- I think especially in the formative years, there's that there's that mm. overjudging. Oh yeah. Yourself and um and it also then especially like if I'm teaching any kids now, um which I I do occasionally but not a lot. Mm. But I, I'm never about okay. Let's do these scales and all this kind of thing. I'm like okay, let's get them learning three or four chords from some song that they know already and then that's the thing they, they yeah. get the bug they uh-huh. go oh, oh well that's that you know Ed Sheeran song or whatever the song is that they, they, they like and they want to play yeah. and from that then if they want to then div- you know they're going to they're gonna want to learn the technique and all that side of things themselves yeah. but if you start with that and it's just dry and oh, yeah. you're just like oh my god why would you want to do this oh totally I mean that's like with like music theory I mean I've taught music theory myself to a number of pupils and something I've really researched but the way it was taught to me was in theory music theory in theory as in it wasn't in practice mm-hmm. the minute you start throwing that in there and actually using it in practice that's when you really start to kind of get the best out of it so I think anytime you're teaching you're, you're, what's it explanation demonstration imitation consolidation someone told Fantastic. me that once and I thought that's, that's, 
that really sums it up. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to kind of, you know, obviously tell them all about it, demonstrate to it, get them to do it, then obviously consolidate the matter. And that's, that really kind of works well with teaching. But when you're saying about playing a few chords, I mean, that's all you need. Do you not find yeah. that some of the most talented uh, instrumentalists write the worst songs? <laughs> you know what I mean? I completely, I mean, there's people... John Lennon wasn't a good musician. No. You know? But that's the thing. It's kind of like, there's, there's that, okay, are we talking about technical ability as a musician or coming up with something that's unique and different and, exactly. that, and that's the thing you know I'm kind of like I'm never going to be that virtuoso guy Yeah. but I could come up with something that might be a bit different from somebody else so that's the thing I'm always chasing and I think yep. you know the the music that I'm drawn to myself is um, not necessarily the the flashiest or you know like if, see if it's like like jazz <laughs> um, you know that kind of jazz soul kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yep. <laughs> I, 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 it leaves me cold. I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm really impressed. Yeah. That's brilliant. Do you remember that solo that goes? <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. No, exactly. you can't sing it. Don't play it. Exactly. You know, that's exactly. it. Now, I think it kind of, I, I, I almost think it almost kind of hampered my progress. I used to think it's hampering my progress because the music I play and everything I play on the guitar, I can play everything I like. So yeah. if I want to really go on to the next level, I don't listen to extreme death metal. You know, I, well, I don't mm-hmm. mind it, and I like Ulster, and I could enjoy it at a gig, but that and really heavy jazz soloing and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I mean, like, it's, it's a lot of notes. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, it's you might as well listen to a drum roll, I think, uh-huh. because there's the same amount of kind of strokes in there. But really, if you don't listen to it, I mean, why would I want to play it? And sometimes people that get to a real level, and you know, and I'm totally impressed and good on them. Yeah. But at the same time. Um, it's only those people that really listen to that kind of music mm-hmm. as well you know I like your hook you really got me that's two chords and it yeah. says everything there's that's all awesome. the passion you know sex and everything you want in a song and those two chords and you know how, and how many of your favourite songs are like that literally you know you kind of two three chords of course know. and look at the pop charts now everything's mm-hmm. four chords if that yeah, recently, I mean, when I kind of another thing I do is obviously we've been we're all musicians, so we play and let you know we do wedding bands. Why I play in a wedding band? One of the things I had to do for the first dance was um, Queen's uh, "You're My Best Friend," and as I was sitting working the song, I was like, "Wow, there's a lot of chords in this," oh, and I God, thought yeah. this would never ever be in the charts no. nowadays because it's 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 on the far kind of jazz clever. level. Yeah, it's yeah. far too clever. Exactly, yeah. we dumb it down all the time. But at the end of the day, is it dumbing it down or is it just making it more appealing? I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing. I don't kind of judge it um in terms of oh you know that's better or that's you know it's just like well if you're into that that's what you're into you know it's whatever, mm-hmm. whatever moves you, you know? exactly whatever floats your boat mm-hmm. someone once said to me when i asked him i said what kind of style of music do you like i mean there's me asking him after telling you all this about different styles mm-hmm. and how i appreciate everything i said what style do you listen to he said quality music you know, I think that was one of the best you know mm-hmm. answers that I heard because it's, as long as there's a quality to the music, mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, I can get with that idea. It's yeah. not a case of you know, right? Is it is it black? Is it white? Is it grey? Is it blah blah blah? Mm-hmm. It's you know, quality. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So uh, you start you you were teaching, and yep. um, when did you kind of then start transitioning into? gigging and do you have sort of first band experiences oh yeah 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 Yeah, my first gig was at the local church coffee morning nice rock and roll (laughs) (laughs) giving my devil horns here both hands yeah (laughs) no Uh, but no yeah um it was always an urge for me to get a band going ever since i started playing the guitar right and that's when i really started kind of i think listening to the beatles you know all right so you're 
Um, Beatles gang huge Beatles fan I mean to be honest I think if you don't like the Beatles do you really like pop music you know it's so funny I was having this debate with uh, Tom Urey recently because just to wind him up I'm like you know I'm I'm more of a Stones guy uh, and I am in terms yeah, of yeah, what, yeah. I love what, them too. what I'd listen to yeah um, and but the thing is I'm like, well, the Beatles though it's they created the parameters of what exactly. modern pop music is. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, how many times is it, oh, is this your psychedelic album? You know, the, uh, the band gets to that stage and yeah. it's kind of like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, yeah. this is your Sgt. Pepper album, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, See, if you put a, a 60s drum beat in your head to every song you hear in the charts, I'm going to cha, 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 do, cha, do, cha, cha, yeah, that yeah. kind of typical beat. If you put that to every song, you know, whether it be like a David Guetta tune or Black, mm-hmm. whoever's basically in the chart, you can hear the Beatles in there through those melodies and those harmonies. Oh, I always you. think you could just, if you kind of rearrange it, if you're like in your head, then you'll hear the, mm-hmm. the kind of lineage from the Beatles. But then, all oh, that comes from the Everly Brothers before them and whatnot, mm-hmm. doesn't it? And other things as well. But but this is the thing. Anytime I'm working with anybody and, you know, they're like, oh, I'm really interested in, you know, learning about, songwriting and if you know they're a singer and they're just kind of wanting to get started i'm kind of like well and it's so funny you sing about you can see that you know the lineage yeah i'm like well study songs literally mm-hmm. go back and listen to everything and see the evolution of song you know oh yeah, yeah um and i love all that and then being able to trace trace that back oh that song actually goes back to that folk song from you know 1700 or totally. something you know and, and you and you, you how can you actually learn about it if you don't understand where it came from. Exactly. That's that's something I get from guitar teaching way back because I'd basically write down all the sheets for people and have them, you know, every week with a new song to do, etc. And the more sheets that you write down and the more kind of arrangements you work out, the more you see it's all the same. Well, that chord's in there or that uses that scale, etc. You know, or everything's just a pentatonic scale, (laughs) which it is. You know what I mean? That's all those five notes. That's all you need, man. Yeah, certainly certainly for pop. Mm -hmm, Um, And, you know, like you say, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Keep it simple, stupid. Um, so, your first band. Yep. Void, with my <laughs> brother. We're called Void. Had a, quite a heavy metal sounding name, but we mostly played like Beatles covers, and it's something that my, my dad said to him. Dad's always been a huge musical influence, but he said, you know, I just play simple stuff because one of the things that a lot of guys get together and do and they like Metallica and they go let's play Master of Puppets I think no you need to wait mm-hmm. a few years until so we just got together and played three chord rock and roll stuff you know right. and we've done it well you know and we used to play our own wee gigs fun enough you know in the church school talent shows we won a school talent show as well but right. I played that and my brother was a bass player and <laughs> you think you think Liam and Noah argued man <laughs> some of the things that we said in that church I mean I'll be, I'll be trying to explain myself if I ever get to the pearly gates you know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> chasing each other around the place, you know, but uh, I know it's a, uh, yeah, it was a, a kind of four-piece band, guitar-based drums, beat combo type thing, right. you know, and yeah, I kind of think a lot of that I was trying to, you know, fashion modern Beatles out of the people that had mm-hmm. around us kind of thing, you know. It's so funny because, I mean, I, I just from, I think it's probably more because of what you're doing now with Hot Knife, mm-hmm. I, I think... I just in my head, I think your your first influences would probably be more funk. Oh yeah, yeah. And that set of things. I'll tell you, the first ever record I ever bought, which in, it was quite a mad one. Um, the first record I ever bought in Woolworths and Dunnan, I believe, which is yeah, in Woolworths and Dunnan, where my a lot of my family's from, uh, it was a record called Rob Bass and DJ Get on the Dance Floor, which is a real classic yeah, house yeah. record. Uh, and Did you re- remix that recently? 
Um, no, no, not that one certainly, but um, I, the, I, I know the one you're thinking of. No, but uh, that's an old classic kind of house record. And uh, after that, I bought the second record of about Stacker Humanoid, which is a absolutely banging techno mm-hmm. record. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I was about seven years old at the time. <laughs> And my brother also bought him. Um, I remember around that because it was his first single. He bought Ten City. That's the way love is. Yeah, yeah. which is still one that, of yeah. my favourite yeah, records. Yeah, and actually, that whole sound, which I call electro soul, forms a lot of what we do with yeah. Hot Knife. You know, so yeah. but still along the musical journey. I mean, it went through into kind of heavy metal and stuff. I listened to a lot of ACDC. They were in a band for years. You know, but mm. I've never really had a kind of boundaries to what I listen to. I think everybody has that ACDC phase oh yeah yeah, yeah. you, you grow out it's very it's so smutty you get into it when you're younger and it's kind of all that kind of oh I've got big balls and all this kind of stuff you know and I remember actually it was Tina Turner she was talking about them she goes people think ACDC are like a really you know full on rock band but they're an R&B band mm-hmm. and if you take away the vocal being that screechy kind of voice yep. you know and it, it just comes down to basically being a, a hard edged R&B oh yeah uh, band and it, I totally get that mm-hmm. um, I mean literally I was uh, playing about ACDC last week and, and just like obviously they've never changed yeah and that's been totally the thing because they haven't changed they just Moving with the times. No, well, you know what you're getting with an ACDC record, yeah. don't you? You know, this when you're saying about that kind of, you know, R and B. Well, I mean, suppose that's the whole thing about rock. I mean, it was a, I think it was a, an old kind of um, an old blues piano player called Champion Jack Dupree, mm-hmm. and he was saying, I think it was about some some guys that were trying to play blues in the sixties, and he says these white boys, man, they want to play blues so bad, and they do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that, that was really the you know formation of rock music in it. Yeah. You know, because you know white boys try to play black music, mm-hmm. so they took it and they just kind of you know because they couldn't sit in the pocket, so to speak. Mm-hmm. The Everton's ahead of the beat and it had that urgency, that immediacy, the sound yeah. that created that kind of whole rock thing. So I suppose it's founded in a lot of R and B, isn't it? But again, it's going back to that you know understanding where everything comes from. You know, yeah. it's like you know, it's, it, it's you can trace it back. You know, oh, absolutely. Aye. Um, so formative band which mm-hmm. is kind of a Beatles kind of combo yeah yeah right what happens after that um, well I think it was just a case of trying to keep people into it I mean I've always been a band leader mm-hmm. up until now I would say I'm pretty much over that whole thing my plan B was always to be a producer okay you know once I get kind of done with bands and you know bands very political entities so you're kind of you know mm-hmm. someone gets a girlfriend and they're suddenly not at practice three times in a row and yeah, you're yeah. like hey man are you into this oh I'm into it I'm into it no problem at all mm-hmm. and then they, then they don't show up for a gig and you know uh-huh. that's been the case since then you know so. so see when you were getting into you know music in the first place yep. really and you kind of had that first band mm. I mean did you have a kind of specific goal in mind where you kind of thinking okay this this band is going to be the thing and we're going to this is we're going to mm. write this album and this is going to be the biggest album of all time you know yeah. was that was that was it that kind of focus or was it just really kind of going with the flow and just enjoying playing yeah well I, th- I think I had a very uh, a small realistic ambition of world domination you know <laughs> I think that's why like anyone that. that starts when they play they want to kind of take over the world and they, yep. they put themselves on top of the pops and stuff and they're head and all totally, that you know yeah. you have all these wild kind of you know boyhood kind of dreams if you like and I think I'd always just had my heart set in it mm-hmm. and I still do you know mm-hmm. it's something that's never left me see I think this is again where you and I kind of <clears throat> we're, we're living parallel lives our mm-hmm. hair is slightly yes. different but um but it's it's artificial yep bit of pink bit of blonde <laughs> but, um, I just have this thing that 
I, I don't think you're ever too old to make great music and I don't think you're ever too old to actually do that thing that's just suddenly going to break through and connect with yeah like who's stopping people, you you know other than you uh-huh. you know and I just I just think there could just be that one song that one moment in time yep you know where you happen to meet somebody who goes hold on I really want to use this song in yep. this mm. particular well, movie or uh, you, you just yep. don't know and I just think as long as you're doing what it is that you're doing and you're passionate about it I, I, talk, I was talking to somebody about this literally earlier on today that um, she was a singer-songwriter and I was like the best advice I can say to you is do the music that moves you yeah. and that you really want to do mm-hmm. as soon as you're chasing trends and trying to do something because you think that's the coolest thing it's just going to be like ugh exactly you know? and how is that going to be fulfilling if you do make it then you're going to be kind of like, it's going to be this empty yeah well, but it's not really who I am well you know that's exactly what it is because with Hot Knife I'm doing exactly what Mm-hmm. I love doing but and you can hear it in the music yeah and the tap doesn't switch off when it comes to songwriting it mm-hmm. just keeps coming in the past I've done things that weren't necessarily me but you made a good point there you said that one song you didn't say that one performance you didn't mm-hmm. say that one band you said that one song because songs it's are the be all exactly songs are the lifeblood of the industry yeah. you know and I think when bands you get some bands that are really good performing bands and they mm-hmm. go out and they work a real grassroots falling and they've only got a few songs to fall back on and maybe they're not great or maybe they think they're great because you mm-hmm. wouldn't make it unless you thought it was great but you know you need that bank of about you know 50 odd songs you know or mm. 5 million songs who knows to before you really get those one or two so I think it's always got to be about the songs hasn't it and it took me this long to really realise that I think uh, I mean for me more than anything my, my great love is songwriting yeah you know uh, and so I think that's the thing why I kind of wasn't I stopped kind of beating myself up about being a, a great bass player, great guitarist, great piano player, or whatever, mm. I was like, no, I'm never going to be any of those things. But I could be a great songwriter. Yeah. So I, I was like, I could always chase that. That's the one thing that. So, and I think, and I'm sure you're exactly the same. Whenever you're in a session with somebody, and if you're with, if you're working with somebody and you really connect with them, you have that thing that okay, right, this session is all about creating something that could possibly be one of the greatest things that has ever been yeah. made. Mm-hmm. and I always have that ambition it's kind of like I don't want to just end a session thinking yeah that song's alright no you can't you, you can't. know you just like I'd, I'd rather be thinking no we're actually we're trying to compete with if it's a genre kind of thing then mm. then you're thinking okay this is going to be competing with whatever is the best in that genre oh yeah you know? everything you do has to be I mean it's like counting Basie one of my favourite quotes ever mm-hmm. what's your favourite song the next one brilliant you know I'm going to steal you do realise I'm stealing all of your quotes absolutely man because I stole them all anyway you know it's much like music itself Uh you just take a bit from here and a bit from there (laughs) put it all in your own philosophy and there you go it's yours (laughs) it's the Sting my favourite quote about songwriting from Sting is um, he said that if somebody says they don't like your song it's like saying your girlfriend is ugly oh yeah you've offended my children Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah and and I think the thing is the thing is this is the one thing I always find really really hard when you're talking to to industry people it's kind of like you know you you can't take it personally and you know and Uh and you know and you can't you know like and if you're working with people you don't want to get too personally involved I'm I'm like I'm sorry that's not who I am yeah the people who I'm working with if I get on really really well with them and become friendly with them then naturally the chemistry that we're going to have working together and if they're talented people obviously then you know that's going to aid the songwriting process and then you're going to come up with something that's going to be more emotionally engaging 
because number one, I want to do a really good job for this person who I respect, mm-hmm. and you—that's you, just—it's just in your DNA to do that. Yeah, you know. Um, but no, I one thousand percent agree that it, it always comes down to song. And see when people go, yeah, yeah. the or the one that gets me though is when they go, yeah, the lyrics are great. I don't care. Damn! I'll break the lyrics if it doesn't have a tune. So, oh yeah, totally. You know, George Michael used to um, say that he loves whenever he writes a song that the melody is the thing that gets him in the first place, and then that's going to make him listen again. Yeah. And then when they listen again, then they'll listen to the words, and then that extends the life of the song. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Of course. How many songs do you wonder in singing when you've got the words completely wrong? You've (laughs) rewritten it in your own head because you're just humming away at that melody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, yeah, there's much more chance of kind of touching people with your music, like you say, if it's something you feel yourself in the first place. If you're just cranking them out like some kind of, you know, production Mm -hmm. line, we've all done it, saying, really, let's make a song like that, wrote a song like that, and Mm -hmm. then it just leaves you cold. I I mean, the thing is, I find it really, really hard to do songwriting camps and yep. you know and that kind of stuff I'm kind of like there's five people in the room really mm-hmm. um, I find that hard um, yep. and I could do it mm-hmm. I, but I just think it just kind of it doesn't sit with me um, and, and don't get me wrong I'm sure it'd be great for me from a career point of view and whatever but I'm kind of it, it just doesn't it, like you say it leaves me cold yeah you know, it's the same thing kind of like yeah great mm-hmm. and then I think the thing is as well whenever there's camps being organised it's kind of they split it into either you're a producer or you're a top liner person I'm like mm. I'm a songwriter yeah no no totally it's not like it's not they're not separate things it's kind of like yeah. it's it's all part of the the same process oh, absolutely I mean I, even things like you know, production as well Pro- producer you the engineer you the producer yeah yeah. I don't think there's it I mean I like to be the engineer producer songwriter yeah, and the yeah, guy yeah. who masters it you know yeah. what I mean <laughs> I, I don't really differentiate I think all these things tie into the one you know yeah. and to just kind of say right no you're doing that you're doing that that's that whole kind of patterns and shapes thing again mm-hmm. isn't it where you, you get stuck in a box I don't want to be stuck in a box mm-hmm. I want to rebel when that happens I want no you know you can't do that and Yes, I will do that, you know. It's so, it's so funny. I'm going to get my parents to listen to this podcast, <laughs> and they're going to go, you guys are just like, cut from the same cloth. Yeah. But, but we are reading the script. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I, I do think, you know, musicians, you know, if you're a musician in your heart and soul, and you just have that, you just kind of like, yeah. no, I'm not I'm not built to to do this. I'm not built to conform. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, and it's, there, there's that. But anyway, the thing I was just thinking about there was, was there a particular performer though that you that for me it was Prince? Yeah, uh, I was. I loved his records. What age was that? No, I got into Billy Joel first, so I started playing piano when I was twelve. No way! I'm just waving my hands about here for anyone that can uh, can't see us. Obviously, that was my first musical influence. Seriously, I kid you not. My dad forgot my Night Rider talking book <laughs> when I went to Dunoon, and uh, there was a tape copy of. Billy Joel's Greatest Hits 1 and 2 which I've still got the vinyl of and that just kind of yeah that's exactly the same <laughs> um, so yeah so for me I, I was like okay I need, I want to learn to play all these songs on the piano yep um, so oh. I learned how to play those songs on the piano badly um, <laughs> not not as good as him but um, they kind of they would sound like the songs but that was kind of about it um, and then from that then so that was you know that was 1984, I think that came out, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. But um, 1988, Prince, Love Sexy. 
Mm. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I remember never, that well. Yeah, I never got to see it in mm. for for real, but it was mm. on TV. They broadcast it on TV, mm. and I saw the show on TV. I remember showing my my, my granite. I brought it <laughs> oh in the room. God. I was like, "What's this?" And it was like alphabet is writhing around the top of a car. And she's like, "Oh, this is lovely." This you is know, lovely. I'm like, "Check us, how cool is he?" Oh, yeah, no. totally. I, I remember that well. Yeah, but yeah. It blew my mind. Literally. Oh, yeah, big time. And I, I was like, oh my God, he's amazing on the piano. I'd, I'd never heard him play the piano really up until mm. I knew he played the piano, obviously. I'd heard it on record, but to see him on stage then, I was like, oh my God, I just love him playing piano. Mm. And then the guitar and, all, and everything, I was like, and I, at that time as well, I loved how his record said, produced, arranged, composed, and performed by Prince. Mm. Yeah. And the thing is for me, as you know, obviously it's the same kind of thing for you. Whenever I come up with a song, I hear the whole thing in my head. Yep. And the joy for me was to, how can I translate it from my head and get it down on tape, yep. as it were. Yeah. So, um, and that was the battle for years, whenever it was hiring studios and running out of money mm. and not mm. finishing songs. Mm. And now we've got our own studios and we're able to just record whenever the hell we want. Of course. Do you um, have a task cam? Yes. I, 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 I saw you post that oh, on that's Facebook right, recently. Yeah. And I was like, because I didn't, I didn't own one, I hired one. Right. Um, because I was working um, with somebody and they were, and literally I had like a wee, um, actually the, there's a keyboard that's sitting out in the hall out there, a Korg 01W Pro workstation. I noticed that, yeah. And I used that, uh, I was like put a backing track together on that, recorded that down on one of the, the tracks and then she did a vocal and I did, you know, harmony, like mm -hmm. super, super basic. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, mean, I think um, be before even that, there was the, the twin tape deck Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> done that as well like, yeah literally. high speed dubbing all that yeah, all, yeah. all of that mm. and that can, and then I remember the, I don't know if you ever did this but whenever you um, recorded that first bit and then you, you rewind it or fast forwarded it I remember when I fast forwarded the tape and you could hear it playing fast it was like mm -hmm. that sounds like music <laughs> yeah, like yeah. just the same as somebody else's song oh, yeah, yeah. Sp speeded up so that just really really excited me um, and actually the thing actually around that time actually Phil Collins who was like not like mega mega exciting uh, as an artist necessarily but I loved how he did a lot of home recording mm -hmm. so there was a lot of his stuff that, you know you kind of like this was done a, a, an 8 track in my house and then they just kind of finished it off somewhere else. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. I loved all that stuff. Well, look, look at Joe Meek. I mean, he had the original home studio, didn't mm -hmm. he? You know what I mean? And produced a lot of hits of the mm -hmm. day from seemingly his home. Yeah. So for me, for me, it was Prince. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then from the, from there, it was kind of like self-hatred for, <laughs> <laughs> for, for years. And, and I'm sure that's the same for countless musicians. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was just, he was just the, you know, the greatest of all time. But mm -hmm. for you, w w was there any... Like particular musician or anybody who kind of really you wanted to emulate or just like a massive influence? Yeah, just a really kind of fired me. I mean, initially I went through the whole rock thing, you know, with ACDC and stuff when I was playing guitar, and that was good to kind of because it's accessible, I think, as well. I could you know, get some of these riffs together and, you know, Angus Young and I really loved that. I loved a lot of early kind of, um, I say like in the late 80s metal and stuff. I liked that as well, but it was never really a, a real comfortable fit. But um, I think it was when I was, yeah, I remember washing dishes in a restaurant in, in Uddingston in there. Uh, I just started uh, studying music as well in town, and I'd been listening to a lot of rock and things. That was all my yeah, my bag. That's fine. But uh, although I'd heard the song before, it was a mate had a CD, and I've still got the CD, and it was just uh, 
James Brown's papa's got a brand new bag come on and it, it just for some reason it just tapped into my soul mm-hmm. at that moment and I got it and I was like wow and I've heard this before but I've never is it, I've listened but I've mm-hmm. never heard it or I've heard it I've never listened I don't know how you'd put it but somebody had just switched something on so I ran out and got uh, James Brown 2 CD uh, set and then from there you know that, that blew my mind but then when I heard Chic that just took it to another level oh, yeah. again and mm-hmm. you know just have you ever and you you'll Obviously, you'll this, this, you'll have gone, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was listening to Kiss by Prince and going, that's Papa's got a brand new van. Mm, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a little, little, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole, yeah, the whole yeah. thing. Totally. The whole arrangement of it was like, I know, you know oh you're just God. making me think now, but of course it is, I, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it was just like, okay, this is kind of like an 80s electro version of that. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah, um, that, 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 I mean, uh, James Brown had such original sound, didn't he? Mm. You know, but was it original as well? I don't know because you can always go back and find yeah, someone was, that's saying, uh, you know. That, yeah. and that, that's what excites me about music. I don't want to just know that person. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I'm kind of, I get obsessive about things. So I find an artist and I immediately go on Wikipedia and look up who they were, yeah, what yeah. they were, you know, and, and who, who influenced them and all right, mm-hmm. this was, and, and I'm still doing it. I'm still finding artists that blow my mind that have been around forever. But chic. I mean, yeah, yeah. Nile Rogers is. The God. <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny. Um, I, I love how he's getting you know, loads of uh, attention no, over the past totally. few yeah, years. Totally, yeah, I think well-deserved, uh-huh. yeah. Because, I mean, you kind of like, oh, yeah, that's one of my favourite records of all time. Oh, yeah, yeah, so that's one of my favourite records of all time. And, um, I mean, like, Let's Dance. Like, mm. th- I can't think of another record that sounds like even like the the whole tonality of it. Oh yeah, and everything. And, al- and also, I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm not really a huge fan of guitar music, but Stevie Ray Vaughan's guitar sound. Oh my mm-hmm. God, that is the greatest Stratocaster sound ever. That, those two for me, Nile Rodgers and Stevie Ray Vaughan. That's both ends of the spectrum. I want to know. Yeah, as a guitar player, you know, what I mean, mm-hmm. I want a solo at Stevie. Mm-hmm. Although I don't, but we always aim there, and I want to get that that rhythm like Nile mm-hmm. Rodgers, you know, and everything else is kind of I don't know superfluous. It's not really that important for but me as a musician you know for for me i love with with niall rogers it's the it's the tightness of arrangements yeah you know it's just literally there's there's nothing extraneous there that you know you just kind of like everything this area like yeah that just everything just slots oh yeah and just bernie like, edwards in the uh, bass it's what uh, i call a musical thumbprint that you cannot replicate no matter mm-hmm. how much you play those notes and people who say oh you can i don't think they listen hard enough because mm-hmm. yeah bernie edwards had a musical thumbprint it's a feel thing yeah totally you know him and Neil rogers as well you know what i mean i do my best so to get close so to it but you'll never get there we said we weren't going to get nerdy about music <laughs> no, <laughs> no, totally. it's just <laughs> yeah but i know that but, but no definitely hearing that it was an old tape someone had it was a producer I used yeah. to work with and he had a tape with Chic and he never got it back you know a cassette tape because yeah. that was in my, my, my wee Fiat at the time and until it ran out you know so what was your first sort of forays into the recording studio can you remember the first time you were in a proper in a proper studio. studio good question actually no I remember initially recording um, as you know on my four track and stuff yeah. like that but I think it was probably the kind of community run kind of recording studios the Terminal 1 in Blantyre I remember being in there and they were recording to like ADATs and stuff you know and I'm sure I'm sure I saw you in there years and years and years ago. Really? Aye, maybe, maybe because I, I used to be, a band. I used to do projects in there about 2000 and 
2004? Right, right, right. I don't know. Maybe potentially. Right. No, I, mean, I think maybe even before that for myself. But um, I think I, I I don't know if it really excited me looking at a big mixing desk and the way it does something. I think mm-hmm. it was just it was like a vehicle for me to get my stuff mm-hmm. together. I think you know. See when I went in uh, when I studied music at North Glasgow College and uh, it was just a it was kind of you know music performance course and that was when I was 17 and that was just around the time when computers started taking audio. Yeah. And I think that was revolutionary for me because, I mean, I've always been a muso, so I've, I've never been rich, dare we say it, mm-hmm. so I can never afford all the equipment that goes with it. But the idea of being able to, you know, with your own computer, make music in your house, that got me hooked. And oh, I think, for me, com- com- I'm, I'm unashamedly digital. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, digital has, you know, for me, has the sound of analogue now. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't in the past, but oh, yeah. the yeah. idea that you can just get a sound card and a PC and just kind of make your own music in the house, I think that's what really hooked me, as opposed to necessarily being in a big studio surrounded mm-hmm. by, you know, r- racks of compressors and stuff. I mean, I love all that stuff, and you can go, yeah, that's really, really cool, but Ultimately, I'd be kind of like, yeah, does this not mean it's going to take me longer to kind of get to where I want to go? Exactly. The less technology between you mm-hmm. and putting it down on, you know, whatever format, the better. Mm-hmm. I think, you know. I mean, we're we're in my cosy wee bijou mm-hmm. Love studio, it, um, which is, I, I, you know, I think about, you know, what I want. I mean, I had a, another place that was uh, bigger than this before, but since I've been in here, which is, I guess, about 12, 13 years, like I have everything that I need to, to do what it is that I do. Yeah. And if I want to do, r- record drums or a brass section or a string section or whatever, the studio downstairs. Yeah. You know? um, but for me to just focus and just do my own thing and just and work, it's just it's ideal. Yeah. You know, it, it just it really really. It's about um, the music, it's, isn't it? It's totally, about the music. Totally. It's not about you know having a really nice compressor that was used on Beatles recordings, etc. And I'm like, yeah, great. Is it suddenly? Good? I mean, and and I think this is the thing. People kind of have that sort of the what's the expression? Is it shiny object syndrome? Yeah, yeah, yeah like right. a magpie. Yeah, and yeah. They, and they're just kind of like, oh, whatever, whatever is it's the latest toys. I have to have it. Yeah, and I, I mean, I have to say, like my like my background is, you know, it's very much is music and not tech, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not. I mean, I am. I would, by by other people's standards, I would be classed as an audio engineer now because I've kind of had to learn how to do it. No, of course, but I don't think of myself as that. Yeah, that's kind of not how I learned. But it's it's really more in the, like the past seven years that I've kind of gone. You know what? I really kind of got to look at this technical <laughs> things a bit closer and just really, really the necessary evil. Yes, yeah, and, and I hate it. I really mm. have no interest in it whatsoever. But I'm kind of like, if it's going to make my mixes sound better, and I'll, then I'm going to study it. I'm going to work on, work on it a yep. bit, you know. Mm. And um, I'm actually going to give a shout out to um, there's a guy, I don't know if you're connected with him at all online. His name's Mark Mozart. Yes, 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 yes. And he has a brilliant book called Your Mix the- Sucks. Yeah, I've yet to get that. Is it good? Oh, it's phenomenal. I'll give you a copy. No. Um, <laughs> and um, for me, because like my background isn't the techie side of things, he kind of mm. cuts through all that. Yeah, and it is literally like an instructional guide on how to kind of mix a record. And I, yeah. and the trick for me when I, when I read that was like, I was look I was looking for there's something I'm not getting right here. What is the this magic ingredient that I'm just missing? Mm-hmm. Uh, so and we are getting a nerdy here, and I don't. No, care. that's cool. And I don't care. I'm into. It. I hope the listeners yeah. are too. <laughs> Let's go on that journey, Greg. <laughs> Gain staging. Yeah. And I was like, uh, literally, mm-hmm. as soon as I start to, to kind of get into that and realize that's where I'm kind of screwed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and and literally, I'm kind of like 
night and day in terms of how mm. the mixes are sounded because I was like well, how's that where's that fatness coming from and I was always thinking it was a compressor or it's you mm. know what, what is you know there's like there's going to be a plug-in that's going to do it I'm like no it's actually mm. learning how this works in the, in the, the first place so mm. literally I, I have I really have to give a big shout out to Mark because I, I followed that template that he kind of laid down with, with his book and I went Oh, okay. Mm. I'm literally so I completely changed the way I worked. Yep. So I'll I'll record a song now if I'm working with somebody now, and then when I, we're kind of pretty much happy with how everything is sounding, then it's like okay, right, fine. Mm-hmm. Switch off all the plugins, export it, brand new multi-track, and just mix. Yep. Yep. And literally go from scratch. And I never did that before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and lit, I swear to God, you, and it's just a psychological switch as well because yep. you're like, I am now in mixing mode. Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, it's not, it's a completely different a thing. super important. It's something that I call, I call the hit and run customers that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, want to come in one day and we get everything mixed and we go out the door. That's yeah. always good. But mm-hmm. I think when you're in recording mode, mm-hmm. it's very difficult being mixing mode because recording mode involves save it vocals. You've always got that few decibels louder than you would have in a mix so they can hear it. But then your brain starts to think that yeah. is the normal level. So then when you go to mix it, you know, it's too loud, or in my case, I'm trying to overcompensate mm-hmm. and maybe make the vocals a bit quieter. So that kind of sleeping on it and coming back to it yep. and going in, you know, and changing the mode, like you say, mm-hmm. very important as well. Or even uh, best case or worst case scenario is that maybe I'll just sit and listen to a few things that I've produced before so I know what levels I'm looking for and kind of try mm-hmm. and reset my ears between the recording to mixing stage yeah. for that reason, yeah. you know. Anyway, um, Let's not go down. Ah, yeah, down I know. This but I, 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 mean, I really, I, I really want to kind of mention Mark there because yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. he, he's one of these guys who, uh, if uh, if you're not familiar with him, then get familiar with him because he, he just posts lots of really really great content. Aye. Um, that is just really really useful. Um, and I, I, I love people like that. It's mm. kind of like, oh, this is helpful, and you're like, oh, thanks yeah. very much. No, you totally. Know? Um, I, I've just found him really really helpful. So, um. I remember the first time I saw you um, was in the Red Hot Chili Pipers. Yes, that's right. Um, and that's kind of how you became... I mean, the, obviously the hair is a feature. Mm, yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, and you became really, really well known in the, the music scene for being an awesome guitarist, but the hair... Yeah, yeah made, oh, the, hair's the hair made you stand out. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, but, um, but basically, I mean, I, I, as a kind of friend of mine, my, well, pretty much my best mate, someone I've known my whole life's big brother, was playing with them and um, they were needing a guitar player at the time to go away on a tour, or it was not a tour, actually, it was a gig in Ukraine, uh, and I get drafted in without even having heard me, just on reputation, okay. and I went in and basically I had my wireless system and I was running out in the crowd mm. and doing all that Angus Young thing, I suppose, yeah. you know, and that's how ultimately I, I, I got the gig, mm-hmm. you know, and then from there I was in the band, and then ultimately I got shafted along the way, and <laughs> <laughs> you know. Moving swiftly <laughs> on. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, no, but I mean, it's one of them things, to be totally honest the whole experience because my experience was a negative one it's one of the things you look back and it's like it's the opposite of rose tinted glasses everything that was you might think you've enjoyed you look back and you kind of look at it differently mm-hmm. you know I can anything musically I've done it's almost like a tomb door getting shut behind it 
you know any bands that I've kind of played it's just mm. like right okay that's done bang you know yeah. and it's almost like everything I mean yeah or even things that I've done myself if it didn't really work out whatever I'm okay right it didn't work and on to the next thing and I just shut it down and it's almost like yeah. it's it, it, you know it, it never existed almost mm-hmm. in my head I'm just always kind of thinking forward as to what the next thing I, is I do think that's the best best way because yeah. I mean otherwise you know um I mean, both of us. I mean, I'm sure many music- musicians the same. You've had the, that one project. They were like, "This is going to be huge," <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and then that doesn't happen exactly. And then the things that do work out mm. are the things that you would not expect. Oh no, absolutely, ever. absolutely. And I think that's one of them things as well. I'd spent so. I mean, I really, I, I put my whole self into things and I invest my heart in it which is mm. the problem because you always end up getting a bit you know even even more gutted mm. when your heart's in it you know but yeah like the, the Chili Pipers it was one of those gigs that just came about and I always thought it was a great idea it was a great idea you know for whatever I think you know it was you know, Stuart it was his idea it was his band you know and I think you know it was a, it was a fantastic idea mm-hmm. won't take that away from my talk it was a great idea and it was something you know it was good to be involved in something different because mm-hmm. I always like trying to do anything different. I think any kind of... I mean, even before that, though, when I fought, before I played with them, I was, very, like I say, involved a, a, a rave group called The Rhythmic State. Now, they were quite a right. big deal in the 90s yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, and we played a lot of gigs around, like, you know, like, uh, a lot of big kind of festivals. I played at Brayhead Arena and things like that. I played the Barrowlands a few times. I played the Carlin Academy, or the, the Carlin Academy, as it was, at the O2 Academy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I played that a number of times as well. And we'd done a lot of gigs around with them. So that actually had quite a weight in itself. And then I kind of went from there like I say on the Chili Pipers then after that I had my own band Bags of Rock which was really I think capitalising on what the scene that I'd been involved in and I wanted mm-hmm. to do something a bit different I had a lot of contacts in that marketplace but like earlier on we were talking about it wasn't really me you know And I think it, I think it doesn't matter how enthusiastic you do it yeah people you'd be, you'd be kind of like you don't think you're giving off a vibe yeah but people maybe can unconsciously kind of See of that mates yeah. that have been you know friends that I've had for years and I'm talking about decades you know in 20 years they've all individually said to me this is where you're at now and this 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 is this makes sense mm-hmm. see all that stuff you did yeah. didn't make sense but this makes sense now because well, it, I think that, that's the thing I mean well I mean I'm not shitting on it in any way but I mean no, it, no. you could obviously see it was yeah, an yeah. extension of what you'd done before the, exactly the, the back, the and that was the purpose thing. of it yeah of course you know um, and it's like and obviously that's what you do you capitalise on what yeah. you've been doing but the thing that like you say with the Hot Knife project it just it resonates because it's obviously your heart and soul's in it yeah, yeah, yeah. totally and People are going to connect with it, and I think that's why people are connecting with it. How you know you've ended up getting um, you know the record signed to play records, and uh, and and, you know it's it's getting that kind of focus and that kind of attention because it feels genuine. It doesn't feel like it's not a career decision. Yeah, you know, it's like no, this is this is all about the music. No, absolutely, that's exactly. I mean, a couple of things that people would never even know that I'd done because they kind of. Had a short lifespan, it, it disappeared. I had a band uh, when I was in my early twenties called Roller, and we were a funk band, three-piece funk band, and all that kind of guitar playing stuff. And I'm going to do now, even a, a few of the riffs, believe it or not, have carried over because that was very much me. And I had a band called Dancer Die as well, and that was a kind of techno rock band. Mm-hmm. We basically I mean, myself and guitar and vocals, bass, drums, and then I had a whole lot of kind of you know s- synthesized elements on 
own backing tracks yeah. and they're much more akin because they were projects that I really believed in and really kind of something I enjoyed yeah. they're much more akin to what I'm doing now other things are more kind of I suppose what you would say career choices but you mm-hmm. make them career choices if you're a musician and oh, you yeah, need totally. to make money and you, need, you know, you know it's like absolutely um, so how did the whole play records thing come about because you put out um, what was the first single that you put out? A magical. Magical. Magical we put out. Now it's got a, a video online as well. You can check out, you know. <laughs> but, that, but that was the first video. Oh, no, no. The, the, what was the video I saw Can't before, Get Enough. When can't Get Enough. In the plane. Yeah. That was absolutely brilliant. Ah, thanks. Video. I just wanted to make a video that, I mean, had nothing to do with the song whatsoever because the thing is, I remember, I remember people put the it video. together in their head and they start yeah. making it up and what the narrative might be when it's not. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, but the thing is, you're watching going, I haven't seen a video like this, you know, that doing that kind of thing in a while, you know. Yeah, just for it. I mean, and it's idea. not posing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I think if you're going to make a video, you can go out and you can rent out. You know, I mean, you know, X amount of you know, expensive cameras, blah blah blah, and get a nice beach scene and get everything perfect and make it look like a million dollars, but. You know, if you've not got that kind of budget, why not make it look a bit cheap? And that was the whole idea behind it. No, you know, the thing is, I didn't, think it lo- it. I didn't think it looked cheap. No, no, no. Uh, no, I, th- I, th- I thought it looked like it was kind of like deliberately kind of it was deliberately tongue in cheek and yes, taking the piss. Very much you so. Know, and and it, it didn't look cheap at all. I mean, I've se- I can imagine somebody doing the same thing and you'd be like no that's just a shout video mm. whereas you could get that no this is a well made video but done tongue in cheek you could definitely there was very much the difference yeah play know? to your strengths I think it's the same with music yeah. production everything play to well, you know I mean if, if you only have X amount of you know resources then you know really make a feature of those resources mm-hmm. don't try and bury it and make it something it's not going to be it was never going to be a big Hollywood video but we could mm-hmm. make it funny and you can have I think you know if you have something memorable it's so much more important mm-hmm. than whatever Money you throw to if the ideas right it's all about the ideas yeah. at the end of the day isn't it much like music so with magical mm-hmm. i mean this is the the puppeteering thing i mean did you actually have to spend time learning how to do I, d- I, I can actually do puppets and stuff oh now yeah God. part of my ethos with videos that's plan c and exactly well, that's it i always like to kind of learn something new and have a new kind of skill for each video if you like yeah. you know that's my ethos of making videos i'll try and learn something but yeah that little creepy little puppet i saw him online and mm-hmm. he was mine you know i mean i was like i've got to have him you know he's I, I mean that was, a, that was the first thing i was like what the hell is that <laughs> and in the castle with a listen uh, for listeners who are on uh, unaware of what we're actually talking about, you can go on YouTube. It's on YouTube, yeah. You're on YouTube, yeah. YouTube, and it's Hot Knife versus Mr. T Magical, uh, the original mix. Isn't it? The original yeah, that's mix, right. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you'll you'll see what we're talking about because it is just the cre- the creepiest bloody video. <laughs> um, so so that was was that the first track that got yeah well up? that's I mean me and T have been doing track well I actually made can't get enough um, before that can't get enough I, I wrote a few songs specifically as the hot knife John I mean hot knife like I say was always my it was always my plan B. I thought, you know, I want to be a producer, but, you know, I thought I'll get the performing career, if you like, out of the way. Because there is a kind of shelf life as a performer as well. We need yeah. to be kind of aware of that, you know, but you can always be a producer at any age. And I thought, well, you know, I'll get more into that. And by doing that and coming out of experiences that were ultimately a bit of a, a letdown, 
doing with bands and whatnot. You know, it's just better to be involved, just writing songs and just you know not have to worry about all the politics mm -hmm. of a band. So Hot Knife, I came out with Can't Get Enough was the first track, and then another couple of songs as well, a track called Higher and a track called Time to Party. And yeah, Can't Get Enough, it was Mr T. He'd, he'd come in my studio as a customer, um, doing some soul stuff, and I thought of him because he just had a fantastic voice, and I really liked him as well. So when basically I got him in, we'd done those three tracks, then after that he came up with a lyric, he said, oh I've got this lyric here Gregor, and he told me it was magical, and I just, it all came together in about ten minutes, you know, yeah. and I put the backing together, and then mm -hmm. from there, because I'm sending that stuff to companies before, but that was the one that resonated, and Play Records, I'd actually, I've got some of the vinyls and stuff, and I actually right. had a couple of other songs, you know, so I knew all about them, and it was just really good, I was out gigging one night, and I got a message saying, hey, we love the track, we want to sign it, I was like, oh! you know all made up and then mm -hmm. I, I know fast forward you know a bit and we've got a few I've been doing a number of remixes for them certainly a lot of kind of disco flavoured kind of disco house remixes of things you know there's a lot happening behind the scenes as well but we have the album out now the Hot Knife versus Mr T mm -hmm. you know the album of the same name and that's available on all streaming available on like streaming on all platforms uh -huh. as we speak certainly yes. yeah um, now my favourite track I'm, um, I'm going to uh, I'm not. I do like. Can't take my effing eyes off you. I'm. I'm trying not to to swear on my own podcast. But my my favorite track is uh, picking up what I'm putting down. Ah, thank you. Um, the whole vibe of it mm. is kind of like it's. I think the thing is that's really really nice about the whole album though is that you can hear all of those like what the, those sort of three things. There's yeah. the funk. There's the house dance element. Um, and it, well, there's the disco thing as well. You know, there's that. Absolutely. And that comes with a voice, and I, I, but you can hear that in all of the, the songs. So there's, there's. Put it this way, I think it it works as an album from the point of view of it's got a unity of style and content. Thank you. you know, I'm so, glad it does because I didn't yeah. know if it would until I put them all together, listen to them one day. But it's it also you're like, okay, yeah, that's hot night. But I mean, you've been talking about the album's just out, yeah. Yes. Um, and it is available everywhere. I mean, it's about a couple of weeks. It's been out two, three. Yeah, it came out on the sixth of September, yeah. twenty nineteen. If you're listening in another year, <laughs> and thank you for listening Indeed. throughout the years, guys. Um, and uh, you're talking about doing some live dates, is, uh, is that...? Yeah, well, what we're going to do actually is a live stream broadcast on Friday the 4th of October, 2019, mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to... Uh, basically, I think people are getting that way, they're not going out anymore, are they? You know, I mean, if people want to get... You're going to bring the party here! Exactly, you're going to bring it right to the phone so mm -hmm. they can sit in the slippers in the house and watch it. And I mean, I, um, as much as I love the live experience, etc., I think, you know, the whole scene's getting crippled mm -hmm. by, you know, well, the general, you know, economy for a start. But, you know, if you're paying six quid a pint, let's face mm -hmm. it, people would rather, a lot of people just get a carry-out, stay in the house. Is that how much it costs for a pint? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, I'm drinkers. <laughs> that's what I mean, but even things, you don't even need to meet people in bars anymore mm. you can just go online on an app yeah. and you know and you know so it's i think that affects the whole scene in general but it's just the way i kind of see it moving towards so the idea i mean obviously we want to do that as well because there's going to be some certain kind of promoters and people like that as well we're kind of we need to get some footage for in order to secure other live dates so yeah, that's yeah. part of it but also just so that we can yeah get the show on the road so mm -hmm. to speak and yeah and do it in a kind of dare i say a modern way yeah 
Um, speaking of doing things in a modern way, I mean, as I said at the start, you're really big on social uh, every, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you jumped on uh, recently, which I think is really, really interesting, a really uh, interesting emerging platform, is Twitch. Yes. Um, so and what is really, really cool about what you're doing there is you're kind of giving people a kind of a look behind the scenes on how you've put tracks together, yep. um, like the hot knife stuff, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know, and, and advice for for people who are kind of just starting out in the business and that side of things. Yeah. Um, how, how are you finding the whole Twitch experience? Because I mean, it's one of these things. It's you know a, a gamer's platform and that kind yep. of thing. But there's, I always think that if you're getting there early enough with something that's not necessarily what, how that platform was built in the first place then there's there's an opportunity there yeah well that's part of it I mean it was Play Records himself that really, I mean one thing Play Records are excellent at coming up with ideas for stuff that, I mean I think I know the industry then they get you know I speak to them I'm like right okay then mm-hmm. yeah I've learned something and one of the things you know the Sam at Play said you know you get on a Twitch because it's you know there's not many people doing that etc yeah. you know there are some people doing music production etc but um, yeah just to get on there and yeah you know, just to give, I think, in some ways, kind of giving something back as well. I mm-hmm. want people to come on and ask me questions and, you know, yeah. what they seem to be calling annoy me, you know, with things. Because, you know, a lot of the things that I will do as well will be like tonight I'm going to do an episode just about how to record vocals, you know, because if someone yeah. asked me throughout the week, how do I record vocals, blah, blah, blah. So that I do that as well as, you know, the kind of, you know, what I call reverse engineering of the yeah. tracks that I've worked on. Hopefully, I can get something from. I learned, I mean, I'm, I'm totally self taught and I learned a lot through um, watching, you know, demonstrations the magazine you know that I often bought and that, that would give you a DVD and you could basically you'd be in the studio with them if you like you know an act and they would talk you through how they made their tracks and I got so much points from people doing that you yeah. know and that's really just the kind of idea as well obviously there's an aspect that could be promoting the music that we do but sure. I think yeah. I just enjoy it as well I learn a lot when, you, when you're when you teaching something it solidifies it in your own head as well but I, I even think I mean it's just the fact that you know we've been talking here for the past hour Mm-hmm. This is, really is that this, this is now the longest podcast ever <laughs> <laughs> no way um, dude <laughs> yeah, um, it's a record mm-hmm. um, but even just it's it, the process of talking through it, it, like you say it helps solidify your own ideas and your yep. thoughts on some things yep. and I and I and I don't mind saying like it's kind of just got me really really excited about going to the studio again good you know I'm, I'm you know I'm like okay I really need to record something Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like right now. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just because we've been talking about it. Um, and I was in the studio last night till like 11, 12. I can't remember what it was. Was it last night? Yeah, it was. Um, but I'm kind of like, yeah. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, what am I doing tomorrow? I don't have anything on tomorrow. You get itchy faders. Uh-huh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and I think the thing is, um, as, as well, you know, the, when the, you know, the studio is becomes that, it's like literally, okay. You know how people talk about... Um, um, writer's block I'm like uh, how do you get writer's block like did you talk yourself into it it's like what literally mm-hmm. you, know, you could I think what happens is they, they go I can as opposed to thinking of it as a positive I can record or I can write anything it becomes oh my god that's just too much to think of mm-hmm. whereas I'm like oh my god I can write anything mm-hmm. that's just the po- the possibilities are endless of just, course let's just do why limit yourself whatever but, you know I think writer's block is kind of something people talk themselves into yeah it's bullshit <laughs> 
Yes, I, totally. I, I, really, I just think it's just like, nah, you're just kind of talking yourself out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you're not doing something that's true, what we are talking about earlier as well, if you're not if doing you're something true to yourself, yeah. yeah, then you will get fe- to that. If you feel like you're doing it for the wrong reasons. I mean, like, I, I've definitely over the past year or so not been doing anywhere near as much mm-hmm. uh, in the studio. and But it's been good because I've, I've needed to kind of step away. You refresh uh, yourself, uh-huh. yeah, and, and and kind of doing more more live work and that kind of stuff. So it was, it was still music, yep. um, but I'm like, okay, now I'm kind of I feel like I could actually do something mm. that I'm I'm not going to be kind of like, yeah, I just did this last week. Mm. The power is in your hands in, now, Greg. In, indeed, the power. <laughs> How do you harness that energy? Indeed, I know. <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm gonna I'm gonna we'll, we'll wrap this up yeah. with, with the one question I ask everybody. Uh, I don't normally ask them about compressors. The <laughs> well, one yeah. question I do ask everybody is: many, many years from now, whenever um, you're no longer with us, mm-hmm. what uh, what would you like your legacy to be? Mm-hmm. And this could be either professional or a personal kind of thing. No, I, I think it would definitely, and I have thought about this because you do often think these things to yourself as well. I think you know, I would rather be remembered and loved by the people who I loved than being. You know, specifically a musician or whatever else I do mm-hmm. professionally. I'd, I'd, I'd rather be respected because I know so many people who I would say have got to a level in their career, etc. But they have, you know, basically, you know, offended a lot of people along the way, you uh-huh. know, and ripped a lot of people off, etc. And I always think about their legacy. I think, do they know what legacy they leave? So yeah. I, would, I would rather be well thought of by the people that mm-hmm. I love and the people that have been important to me you know they, but at the same time if they want to remember me as some producer as hot name that's great <laughs> you know point genius no, no, then that's no, perfectly no, fine no, I'll, and if I'll there take are that. statues <laughs> built in every major city <laughs> then that's fine exactly no, totally, but I, I, I'd rather be remembered as a, as a, as a, a, a dare I say a decent person than just yeah. as, a, as a musician I would say uh, Gregor, thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really enjoyed the chat. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute blast, Greg. Mm-hmm.